Welcome to the Autism Thinks podcast. It's hosted by the New Jersey Autism Center of Excellence, where we bring together the neuroscience, technology, and innovation to a soundscape that'll change your perspectives on all things autism and the world around us. Just one episode at a time. like this quote by Nelson Mandela that states that it always seems impossible until it is done. This really represents a lot of things in my life where I have always been told that someone from my background wouldn't be able to do something mainly because they had never seen someone do it. This is Empowering Voices, a new series on Autism Thinks that centers the importance of diversity and representation in our communities. So sit back and get ready to be inspired. So my name is Maribel Patino. I am in the medical scientist training program at the University of California, San Diego. And I am also part of the neuroscience graduate program. This is a special episode with Maribel Patino. Maribel is an MD-PhD student at the University of California, San Diego. She's currently in her PhD phase of her medical training, and today, we have the pleasure of listening to her story. I am the daughter of immigrants from Mexico. My parents came to the United States with about less than the equivalent of a sixth grade U.S. education, mostly to escape poverty through agricultural farm work. So I grew up in Lamont, California, which is a very small community in the Central Valley, and it's composed primarily of migrant farm workers. So during high school, I actually joined my dad and brother in the watermelon fields to help Uh, make ends meet financially. And it was here where witnessing firsthand the adverse health effects of working in the fields that actually became the foundation for my aspirations to become a physician scientist. At that time, Maribel said she didn't really know what a physician scientist was, but she knew she wanted to do something to help. Becoming a physician seemed to be the best way to help heal the adverse effects of agriculture, from heat strokes and dehydration after hours of working in the fields to pesticide exposure. From there, I enrolled at the University of California, Berkeley, where I decided to major in molecular and cell biology. I conducted my honors thesis at the lab of Daniela Koffer studying epilepsy. And then after that, I went to work at the University of Pennsylvania through the NIH postback research education program, where I decided to study neurodegenerative disease. So you're probably wondering, what's Maribel researching now? She studies neuroscience at UC San Diego, and she traces how certain genes or segments of DNA are expressed in cells, particularly cells important in the brain and spinal cord. 
I am conducting my thesis work at the Salk Institute for Biological Studies in the lab of Ed Calloway. And so currently right now what I'm working on is neurotechnology development. So what I want to do is to develop tools that would allow us to better study how cells in the brain are connected to one another. So one of my current project involves combining a circuit tracing method called monosynaptic rabies tracing with single cell transcriptomics to allow us to see how cells are connected in the brain at the level of gene expression. She talks about all the wild wonder of her research. While researching at the lab, she works on encoding genetic information from animals and their cells. She delves into the intricate patterns and vibrant forms of the neurons she's seen. So some of my work does require for me to make novel viral constructs. So I work with a modified version of the rabies virus, and rabies virus essentially can infect a neuron and then spread backwards into any neurons that is connected to that particular neuron. Um, So this is a great tool to study how neurons are connected because you can learn specifically what neurons in the brain are connected to neurons in other areas of the brain. So one of my projects involves learning how efficient is this tool. And so to do that, I actually get to genetically modify the rabies virus significantly and insert a bunch of genes into it. Obviously, this takes a lot of troubleshooting and then you have to where the virus works. So I think after genetically modifying the virus, for example, I put in genes that will allow me to not only see the neuron as a whole, but it will allow me to see on that neuron every single synapse or essentially the connections from one neuron to another. So not only do I get to see the whole neuron, I actually get to see small puncta of every area where another neuron is making a connection onto that cell. And so that virus, I essentially created one that was modified to express two different synaptic markers. And the first time I saw that under the microscope, it was just gorgeous. And I put it on my Instagram and it is just so beautiful. I think looking at neurons in the brain and being able to see the resolution of two neurons being connected is super exciting. Looking at the gene expression for the rabies virus, our researcher had to see if the cells she infected with the virus would be viable and could be studied for tracing their synaptic patterns. Synapses are the gaps in between neurons, where messenger chemicals called neurotransmitters are released into. Um, I'm trying to combine also this this synaptic rabies tracing with single-cell transcriptomics. So for that, the main reason why that is very difficult to do is because I'm using the rabies virus itself to trace circuits. And rabies virus, at the end of the day, is a virus, so it can lead to changes in gene expression within a cell. So when I started this project, it was very risky because there was the potential that rabies virus could change gene expression in a cell so much that we wouldn't be able to either identify its original identity or 
there, there would just be too many changes in gene expression to see what that cell was. And so the very first thing I had to do was essentially do this experiment where I infected cells with rabies and then collected these cells and analyzed their gene expression patterns. I think one of the most rewarding results so far was, was knowing that this project was not unrealistic because rabies virus, although it does change expression of some genes, you can still classify the cell based on whether it's an excitatory neuron or an inhibitory neuron. So that for me was great. It meant that my project could go forward because it was a very risky project where if I didn't get that result, I would have to drop it. So for me, that was very exciting. Um, And it, it means that there is now the potential that we can combine these two tools to really be able to answer questions that currently we don't have the tools to answer. You might be thinking, Maribel's research sounds so cool. And it's incredible to know that she has followed her passion for neuroscience through her research. Going back to her story we talked about in the beginning, you'll soon realize that she needed to work twice or thrice as hard to get to where she is today. Kind of that transition from high school to college really highlights disparities in academic opportunities for people. I think, at least in my experience, it's not as evident in the transition from college to medical school, because a lot of us usually we have had to have taken certain courses to get here. Yeah. But from college to undergrad, it's it's just a big disparity, I think, that becomes very apparent. Definitely one of the biggest challenges was not having access to quality education growing up and being a first generation college student. So just a little bit more detail. I attended low-performing Title I elementary, middle, and high schools, where more than about 95% of the student body was on free and reduced lunch. So because of like the nature of the schools I went to, we didn't have many AP classes or counselors that were encouraging us to attend college and, and much less prepare us for the rigor of college coursework. So when I, when I got to UC Berkeley, I very quickly realized that I was drastically behind academically. And I actually remember STEM professors, specifically I remember physics, always saying, oh, I'm going to skip this topic because you all know this from high school, assuming that a lot, a lot of the students in the class had access to the same quality of primary education. And unfortunately for me, a lot of these topics were the foundation for the class. And because I had never studied them before, I had to essentially self-teach myself a lot of these critical topics just to catch up to where most people in my class were already starting at. And it was very hard. I think a lot of people now see my CV or my resume And they just assume that I breezed through undergrad and that it was very easy for me. Um, Like I heard some people say like, oh, there was just like a natural aptitude for success. But but really, that's just like very far from the truth. I I had to go and get free tutoring for most major STEM classes, actually, um, organic chemistry and physics and chemistry just to catch up to where all of my colleagues were at. And so I did this for most of my first and second year of undergrad. And so I I say this a lot and I don't joke when I say it, but for me, undergrad was actually leagues more difficult than my first 
two years of medical school. So for me, medical school ended up being very easy for me because I had gone through that very challenging time of transitioning from a low performing high school to the rigor of UC Berkeley. And, and that was extremely challenging. And I want other students to know that it's not rare. And, and a lot of students, particularly underrepresented students in STEM, go through similar things. Being a huge advocate for increasing representation for minorities in STEM fields, our soon-to-be physician scientist co-founded an organization called Colors of the Brain that aims to fulfill this mission. So outside of science, I, I am very passionate also about increasing and retaining diversity in science and medicine. And to this end, I, I here at UCSD, I have co-founded an organization called Colors of the Brain, which is a graduate student-led organization dedicated to increasing diversity, specifically in the brain sciences, meaning neuroscience, cognitive science, and psychology. So how can we support students from disadvantaged backgrounds? How could we allow for everyone, and I mean everyone, who is interested in science or research to pursue their dreams? I, I actually have a lot of thoughts on how we can better support students from underserved communities and disadvantaged backgrounds, primarily because it's something that through Colors of the Brain, we have been thinking a lot about, like how can we as a graduate student organization try to advocate for changes and initiatives that we think would make the most impact on a student's life, particularly from these backgrounds. So one thing I think that we can all do to support students from, from such backgrounds is to simply recognize that these students oftentimes have not had access to the same academic and research opportunities as some of their colleagues in college. And I think once this reality is recognized, it is essential to provide mentorship and to invest in fostering the potential of all underrepresented students that express interest in STEM and, and not just the ones that are already on track for success. And I really think that my, my own academic and career path is a perfect example of this. I just want to kind of say like a small story about this is that I actually had a very difficult time finding my first research mentor. So at this time, I already had very good grades in college, but I heard time and time again that I did not have sufficient research experience. And this was not because I was not interested in research, but simply because I had never had the opportunity to do research in high school or in my first year of college because I come from a low-income background, so I was working part-time in the dining hall for a large portion of my first year of college. So I was extremely, extremely fortunate to stumble upon a research slash pre-med program at UCSF that explicitly sought to mentor underrepresented minority STEM students that had zero research experience. So they emphasized this so much that they actually did not accept any students that had already previously worked in a lab. So through this program, I met my first mentor, Dr. Cynthia Mellon from UCSF. And I, I want to emphasize that this particular program single-handedly changed my life. After my research experience at UCSF, 
so many doors opened for me. I was accepted into multiple funded research summer programs. I received many fellowships and scholarships. And, and I ended up even receiving a departmental award for my undergraduate thesis work. But looking back, it would have been very, very hard for me to accomplish any of this if that program at UCSF did not exist. And if mentors like Dr. Mellon did not exist because they provided that fundamental first opportunity that needs to exist to open the doors for students like me. And so while I'm a huge advocate for research programs like MARC and IMSD that support underrepresented students in research, I do think that a reality is that even these programs require prior research experience. So there's a need for programs essentially at an earlier stage that seek to expose students to opportunities and act as a sort of stepping stone for other research experiences that they can have later. And kind of like I mentioned, this is actually something that we are hoping that we can start to do here at UCSD through Colors of the Brain. Because many times I see students that are very passionate about being involved in research but they just can't get into a research lab because they don't have the money to stay here over the summer. But because they have never been in a research lab, they can't apply for these very competitive programs like MARC and IMSD that pro provide funding over the summer. So, so it's kind of like this catch-22 where you need experience to get experience. And so I think programs like the program at UCSF where, where they explicitly say we are so invested in giving underrepresented students um, opportunities that we don't even require any experience, I think that is something that is extremely impactful and that can completely change the life and career tracks of students. In facing the many obstacles that have stood in her way, Maribel reaches for her motivation to keep her going. She goes back to the idea of helping her community, an idea that ignited her passion for medical science. I have a large desire to give back to my community and help address healthcare disparities. So growing up in Lamont, I didn't just witness how farm workers put their health on the line um, while keeping our country fed, but I also saw how this vulnerable population often does not have access to quality healthcare. And, and of course, access to quality healthcare is a rampant problem in other populations such as indigenous black and Latino communities. So for me, accomplishing my career, career goals um, does mean that for me personally, I will have a seat at the table where I can bring up these very important issues and I hope to simultaneously be able to mentor the next generation of underrepresented minority students, particularly medical students that also seek to work towards these similar goals. In giving back to your community, Maribel takes a unique perspective. She was thinking about working as a physician in her hometown, Lamont, but she soon discovered a way to balance both her passions of being at the forefront of neuroscientific research and practicing medicine to make a difference. But I was deciding between applying to an MD-PhD program where I would be able to study neuroscience or applying to a prime program through the UC system. And so the prime program is a part of a medical school education where they seek to train physicians to go back, particularly to underserved communities to work there. 
And so because of my background and initially what motivated me to pursue this initially was going back home. Um, It was a very difficult decision for me to decide to, in a way, be selfish and pursue my interest in neuroscience. This is something that, that I wasn't exposed to until college. And when that happened, I, it, it sounds very cheesy, but I was, I just kind of fell in love with it. And I was like, this is what I want to do. And in the back of my mind, it was always this, this thought that I was kind of not staying true to my roots because I wasn't going to pursue this other career option. I have thought about that significantly and the way that I have finally learned to deal with this duality essentially is that that is actually one of the reasons why I'm so heavily invested in mentorship. I strongly believe that as a mentor and if I stay in academia and try to mentor other students coming through, I think at the end of the day that will have a much larger impact than me going back and only practicing, for example, back home. So the way that I think about it is like this, if I become a physician um, and go back home, then that's one physician in Lamont. But if I stay in academia, not only do I get to also do research in a field that I'm super passionate about, but I interact significantly, even now as a a graduate student, with undergraduate students that are interested either in medicine or are interested in research. And the majority of my mentees are interested in health disparities similar to me. And some of them want to go back home and practice there, but some of them are like me where they want to stay in academia and become mentors themselves. And so I think the way that I have learned to accept kind of this new career of mine that I'm aiming for is that I can still be a mentor. And I think at the end of the day, through that mentorship, I do think I would, I will still be able to make changes in my community. And not only that, I think, a lot of research also needs people at the table who are aware of the health disparities that occur in very particular communities. For example, genetic studies in human populations. It's known that a lot of these times, these studies focus primarily on Caucasian populations and oftentimes minority populations are left out of these studies. And this obviously also has implications for the, for the way that Um, medicine and um, healthcare affects people. So I think people like myself are needed at every stage, not only on the ground, working with patients, but also in academia, designing the studies and talking to people who design the studies to make sure that the voices from these communities are heard. There's also her interest in the human body. When you learn about how a single nerve cell or neuron works amidst the millions of other neurons in the nervous system, it's hard not to stand there in awe, just like our researcher did a few years ago. I do love learning, particularly about how the human body works and especially about the nervous system. So one of the main reasons I decided to pursue a PhD was because I wanted to learn more about neuroscience than what is currently readily available in textbooks. Through research, not only do I get to work towards expanding our current understanding of the field as a whole, but a perk is definitely that I get exposed to the newest ideas and findings of neuroscience. So, so a huge motivation and just being motivated um, it is just that I, I try to recognize that I'm in a very privileged 
situation where I get to do what I've been wanting to do since I was an undergrad. Like the first time I learned how a neuron works, that motivated me to pursue a degree. And I think ever since then, I've been constantly learning about about the nervous system. And I think that's something that I appreciate a lot. And with that, thank you so much for tuning into the Autism Thinks podcast. Maribel Patino will leave us with her advice for kids who are excited about math and science and who have faced similar struggles as she has. My, my biggest advice would be to not let naysayers deter you from pursuing your interests and career aspirations. Because at every stage of your career, you will always meet people who don't believe you are qualified or who don't believe you will succeed. And to that, I will just say that they are wrong. I had teachers in high school that said I would not get accepted into a top tier university. I was accepted into the number one public university in the country. Um, I, had, I had counselors. I UC Berkeley that advised me to not take certain math classes because I would fail based on my background. I took the class and I got an A. Um, I, I had professors tell me that I would not get into UCSF medical school because I had gotten a B in a biology class. Um, and I applied and I was accepted to UCSF. And not only was I accepted to the medical school, I was accepted into the medical scientist training program. So I won't sugarcoat it. Um, for students of color, many will probably not start on the same playing field as, as other colleagues. And, and you will probably have to work two times as hard or five times as hard as, or 10 times as hard just to catch up and get the same recognition for your successes. But I think all of this is worth it and your successes will not only be yours because they will serve to inspire the next generation of students of color and underrepresented students in science.